working overtime. Overtime! You think you know me? go live from the white claw hard seltzer studios of fan run radio it's overtime with dawson wise and jace brown yes sir. jace a little bit empty studio tonight yeah it, it feels uh, without without william little, yeah. uh, no william uh he's out tonight uh under the weather hope to get him back uh here very shortly but still an action pack two hours for you the first hour we'll give our best bets at the end of the hour we're going to talk about some vol baseball that is underway right now against High Point. Last I checked, two nothing in the third inning. Don't know if that's changed that at one all. That has changed to uh, Tennessee's up three two in the top of the fifth. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Uh, we're going to start with some bracketology here in just a moment. Eight six five five four six eight two zero zero. If you want to get involved, and it's going to be a bit of a scramble with the phone calls tonight, but we will get to you. Just you know, call back. We don't answer the first time because we are pulling some double duty here tonight in the uh, in the studio. We'll start with some bracketology though. ESPN's Joe Lenardi released his updated men's bracketology on Monday, updating the college basketball world on the current standing of the big dance. The now fourth-ranked in the AP poll Tennessee Volunteers dominated the final 25 minutes Saturday night at Food City Center to defeat Texas A&M 86-51, giving head coach Rick Barnes his 800th victory. We talked about that one yesterday to add to his illustrious career. With a win, the Vols now 21-6, 11-3 in the Southeastern Conference, moved to the highest two-seed and the fifth overall seed in the eyes of Joe Lenardi. Lenardi says that Arizona has, quote, left the door open for Tennessee and North Carolina uh, but it is still Arizona's to lose. Jace will bring in now. What are the chances the Vols steal a number one seed from the Wildcats? Uh, I, I think it's really likely at this point, just because, again, we, we saw Arizona drop that one game at home against Wazoo last week. Uh, and, and Tennessee throughout the week, of course, they had a little bit of a shakeup against Mizzou, but were able to pull it out. Uh, but pl- has played pretty solidly over the last two weeks. Um, and also, I think it falls on just the difficulty of the schedule here on out. We've seen Arizona drop some games they're not supposed to uh, with a relatively light uh, and not too top-heavy Pac-12 conference. Uh, and Tennessee's running out here against four ranked opponents, two on the road, two at home. Uh, I think if Tennessee can take care of business, get three out of the next four, I think there's a real opportunity that this team slides into that one-slot position. Uh, I think North Carolina can also vie for a spot late. They've got a, another date with Duke, I think, to round out the year as always, so that could be another selling point for them. But overall, uh, it is sort of still uh, Arizona's to lose just because of how well they have played uh, as of recent. Again, going back to the point of them dropping a couple games that they aren't supposed to. Besides that, they've looked really solid this year. Uh, I, I think barring any mishaps from them, I think they will still lock down the one spot. But, again, it's it's up to fate at this point. I think it really falls on Arizona here. 
I think it does too. I said not great. I don't like the way he worded it, uh, where it's Arizona's yeah. to lose. Uh, our remaining schedule, not great at yeah. all. Uh, coming up a big week uh, for the Vols here this week uh, with with Auburn coming to town tomorrow night. We'll talk about that game tomorrow on, on the first little bit of tomorrow's show. And then Alabama in Tuscaloosa with college game day on Saturday evening. Alabama coming off a rough loss to Kentucky. They've yes. got Ole Miss, I believe, either tonight or tomorrow mm-hmm. um, coming up this week. So uh, big week for the Vols, but again, a remaining schedule that's really, really tough. It's a gauntlet um, that basically you're expected to win out at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, um, if you're going to get that one seed, maybe three and one, you might could get away with dropping one. But I think you need Arizona to probably help you out and drop one as well. Uh, Arizona's remaining schedule at Arizona State, home against Oregon, at UCLA, at USC. Not great. Not uh, great. And we've talked we talked about this, I think, last week when we talked about where the bracket was going to end up falling. And, you know, and I said the easiest remaining path was Arizona's. Oh, uh, absolutely. Do they have any losable games in those last four? I don't see any. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not expect them to lose to Washington State. But Washington State now, at, I believe, 21st in the country in the AP yeah. poll. They may have actually moved up a little bit more than that. Um, and solidly now a 4-5 seed range, a little bit better loss than, say, UCLA would be here on right. the road. Um, for an Arizona team that's looked vulnerable, and it gives the Vols room to capitalize, but you know with the remaining schedules uh, the way they are, I don't like it. Uh, it. It just makes this upcoming week more important. I mean, you need mm-hmm. to beat Auburn tomorrow night when they come to your house. I think Alabama's the one you could probably drop. Uh, I don't think you could drop South Carolina on the Definitely road. No. I don't think you can drop Auburn or Kentucky at home. I think you have to win those three. Uh, the Alabama game is a toss-up. Uh, Alabama three seed right now uh, over in Purdue's region. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned if you drop that game as, as to whether or not they could throw us into a one seed. Um, but other than that, you, you know, you, you need to take care of your business. Other than that, on home floor yeah. and, and away at South Carolina, um, so I don't like it. Uh, you know, going forward here. The fifth overall seed, we've been in this spot before in the in the bracketology. Is it fair to put the Vols as the highest two seed? I still I still think so, yeah. I mean, I, I think they outplayed uh, the likes of like Marquette this week. I think they outplayed UNC this week. And, of course, Kansas has, has been sort of up and down over the last three, four weeks. Still staying at the two line, uh, but Tennessee has sort of taken a step forward since both of those teams uh, clashed back in November. Uh, so I, I think the rightful spot right now is that uh, number five overall spot. Um, again, it, it, it's really going to come back to – uh, what's what's ahead of the Vols? I, th- I think, and whenever it comes to shaking things up, uh, this, again, we talked about it last night. This may or may not be uh, the biggest two-game stretch in Rick Barnes's tenure here at Tennessee, just because of what it can do from a national standpoint and an SEC standpoint. Just everything across the board is really relying on these next two games against two really good teams out of Alabama. So uh, right now, yes, I think that's the correct spot. Uh, I, I think if they continue to outplay the likes of Kansas, where Kansas is, of course, in that really tough Big 12 where teams will just drop some randomly, if they can keep outplaying them, I think they'll definitely be slated above them. I think, at worst, this team is the top three seed uh, come tournament time. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this team's played like a top five team all year. Right. Uh, the one seed is such an exclusive club. I mean, if 68 yeah. teams get in, only four are on the one line. So a very exclusive club to get into, and I don't think many of us – uh, expected this team with the turnover this year to be on the one line. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't. I figured they'd probably be a two seed again, um, with just the 
the uh, the competition that's been in college basketball this year. There's so many elite level teams yeah. um, that, that deserve to be on that one line uh, more than four. I think there's probably seven or eight at this point that deserve to be on that line. So to be at number five, it pins you as the best of the rest in a way. I know it sounds bad, um, but you are the best of the remaining 64 teams in the tournament. And I think that's a great place to be mm-hmm. with a week to go still. Well, really two weeks because conference tournaments are going to switch around this a little bit too. Mm-hmm depending on how these teams do. Uh, all the adversity, I mean, you lose to South Carolina at home. You lose to A&M on the road. You have some losses like this, some ugly wins, and yet you still, on the other side of it, are, are in the number one two seed uh, and well within range of potentially striking and grabbing a one seed. Yeah. So I think it's a great spot to be. I think it's absolutely fair uh, at this point. And, and look, there's no rule that says you have to be a number one seed in the tournament to be a champion. Mm-hmm. Last year, UConn goes in the tournament as a four seed. And wins the national championship. Yeah. Now it, it had some. They had some help. You know, some of the one seeds fall early in the tournament. Purdue, Arizona, both fall early in the tournament as as one or two seeds there. So that helps. But again, no rule. Uh, UConn actually has done it twice as a non one seed. 2014, they were a seven. 2011, they were mm-hmm. a three. Three of their national championships, uh, their three most recent national championships, has been as non-number one seeds. Yeah. Uh, Villanova, a number two seed in 2016, the year that Chris Jenkins hit, hit the game-winning buzzer-beating yeah. shot in the national championship game. Um, so there's no there's no rule on it. 63% of champs come from the one seed, but it leaves you plenty of room for other seeds to be yeah. a champion. So no rule by any means uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to winning uh, a championship and the parity that we've seen in college basketball this year. Uh, shows me at least uh, that the one seed's not going to matter. I don't think as much this year uh, as it has in the past, just because mm-hmm. you know the elite talent spread out a little bit more, a lot more elite level basketball teams this year. So uh, I think it's fair. We'll go through the path. This is the potential path, uh, the region breakdown that that Lenardi has for the Vols, and we'll go through it just seed by seed here, uh, just by matchup. So the one seed would be Houston, uh, which I know yep. we've talked about at length that we may not want to see. Uh, South Dakota State would be the 16, Mississippi State the 8, Nebraska the 9, Clemson would be the 5 seed playing Grand Canyon, the 12 seed, a team we've talked Mm -hmm. about at length as well. Illinois, a team we talked about last night uh, at the 4 seed with Akron at the 13. Florida would play Indiana State in the 6-11 game. Creighton and Charleston in the 3-14 game. It would be Colorado State and Wake Forest in the 7-10 game. Tennessee would land in the 2 seed playing Fairfield in the first round. So it's hypothetical mm. at this point, uh, but to you, what stands out about the Vols' potential path? Uh, I, I, we, we were talking about it before we got in here. Th- this looks like it could be the toughest of the roads uh, of of anything that we've seen so far uh, for Tennessee. You know, coming in that second round game against Colorado State uh, and Wake Forest. Wake Forest really taking that stride right now uh, with that win over uh, Duke. Finally, looking like they've cemented themselves as a uh, as a tournament team. They finally got off that last four in, first four out. Uh, they're in like the last four buys right now. The second team in that behind Texas. So uh, have seen some really good improvement there. Uh, one one really intriguing matchup for me is that Florida Indiana State game. Just because we've seen Indiana State, of course, they've been ranked at some point this year, lost the next game, but have been really solid throughout the year. Florida, as of like the last month or so, has really started uh, to find their rhythm, look really good. I don't really want to see them at all in the tournament uh, because they're known to do well in the tournament as well. Uh, Creighton, we've hit on them quite a bit. They're really good. Illinois, uh, still a really good team, really talented squad, have not played their best basketball as of late, but they're still you still got two weeks and your uh, conference tournament to turn that around. That can work for them as well. Uh, and Houston is just a – it feels like it could be a matchup nightmare for just about anybody in this tournament. 
uh, just because of of how like crazy illicit their defense is. I mean, uh, we we talked about the hypothetical last night. If if we saw a Kentucky Houston game, which way would that go? And you know, William made a really good point of maybe swinging it towards Houston just because of how potent that defense is. Uh, so going straight through that, your Sweet Sixteen matchup is probably going to be Creighton or Florida. Not really one that I want to see uh, an, an Elite Eight probably against Houston. Uh, just not the best matchup. And even further about that, we talked about it. Uh, seeing number one UConn on the same side of the bracket uh, would be your matchup in the Final Four, and that team is still just a juggernaut. Uh, not one that I would be too favorable for the Vols in. Uh, it's it's just so worrisome. Of course, these are still hypotheticals. These aren't set in stone, but looking at how it could fall out, it, it could spell disaster. Yeah, the tough matchups also stood out to me. I mean, Colorado State-Wake Forest, that's not a gimme in the second round. Yeah. Colorado State, one of the better mid-majors. Wake Forest is playing like one of the better teams in the ACC over the past couple of weeks. A statement went yeah. over Duke the other night. Uh, Indiana State, Creighton, or Florida in the Sweet 16, I don't like any of those matchups. Nope. Um, just for, for very different reasons. they can score. They for can very score. different reasons uh, because those teams can score or because they're a potential Cinderella. I'll get to that in a second. Um, and then Houston, the Elite Eight, you talked about it. Matchup nightmare for, for a team like Tennessee they've just played well matchup nightmare for anyone yeah their their length on defense you know the fact that they're able to play that well good a defense and then get out and run the floor um, which they really love to do um, they don't score a ton in games but when, when they're able to play good defense and force turnovers they like to run the floor um, and pick the pace up so I don't like that matchup either it's a nightmare for any team um, and then coming off a matchup with potentially Creighton I mean that's just a brutal path um, and so the, the very dangerous aspect of this part of the bracket, again, hypothetical, uh, but still scares you a little bit if yeah. you're in the, in the shoes of Tennessee. Uh, Cinderella's, for me, is another one. Uh, Wake Forest feels like Oregon State a few years ago, a mm-hmm. team that got very hot late in the year uh, and just exploded in March Madness uh, and came onto the scene and started scoring a bunch of points, putting up a bunch of flashy efforts. They go through Tennessee. They get all the way to the Final Four as a 10 seed. Um, Wake Forest – also a 10 seed. Don't like that matchup for the Vols in terms of how much they can score. Indiana State an 11 seed. Again, one of the better mid-majors this year. I uh, don't like a matchup with them either. Another team that, like you said, loves to score points. Yeah. Um, and again, teams that do that, you know, haven't had a ton of success against Tennessee because of how good they are defensively. But do you really want to get into a track meet game in March Madness? I don't no. think you do. Uh, Florida, I've talked about a lot. I don't think they're as much of a Cinderella anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting to where they're just a team that could make a run as a six now in the updated yeah. bracketology. So they're a team, again, I think they can score from any part of the court. We'll get to talk about them later um, when we look at some SEC bubble uh, watch teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're a team, again, that scores a lot of points, can score from anywhere on the court, and gives you defensive problems in terms of a matchup, a team that Tennessee has seen already um, and handled at home at Food City Center. Um, but they were not the same team that they are right now. Right. Um, and then Grand Canyon, a team that I picked as my Cinderella team to watch a couple mm. weeks back when we talked about this, um, just does not bode well. I don't like seeing Cinderella teams. I mean, we were all <laughs> scarred by Oregon State, Loyola, Loyola Chicago, Chicago, and FAU man. all in the span of five oh. years. So I don't like to see any of those teams that no. you know are not you – know, some of these teams like, like Akron's the 13, I don't see them as winning multiple yeah. tournament games, whereas Grand Canyon, Indiana State, Wake Forest, I could see them – Easily making a run of the Sweet 16. Mm. So I don't like seeing any of those. 
I still prefer having Houston to having UConn. I still think UConn's the best in the country and the most well-rounded team in the country. Um, but again, it, it, you know, I would much rather play Houston. I think yeah. over, over UConn, even with their defensive uh, prowess. I, I think um, one team that we haven't even hit on in this one is Nebraska, a, yes. t- a team that's made like some weird runs this year. Of course, we saw them just dismantle uh, Zach Eady and Purdue earlier this year. They've had some dry spells too. But, man, that, that's a team that can go out and beat just about anybody if they get uh, a hot night going. Uh, so I, I feel like that's just another one that we could look out for too. Yeah, and this is where you'd like to have that one seed. If you look over yeah. at Arizona, I think Arizona's got the easiest path of almost mm. anybody in the tournament uh, with a, a matchup with Little Rock or Grambling State in the first round. Uh, TCU-Michigan State could present some problems in the second round, Michigan State especially playing like a very different team. And it's Tom Izzo in March. Yeah. We've talked about that They'll on the show, show already. Um, Kentucky or San Diego State in the Sweet 16. Kentucky likes to score a lot of points. San Diego State focuses more on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then one of South Carolina, Duke, or Kansas, which if you had to ask me right now, would I rather have that matchup or would I rather have uh, you know, Creighton, Florida, uh, or Indiana State, I would probably take the former. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, even in those like little uh, – I guess first round of 68 or whatever, there's still Providence and Gonzaga sitting there hypothetically yes, right yeah. now. And those those are two teams that can win games don't, too. I don't want to see Kim English's team nope, in, you in don't. the tournament. And, and you know, Gonzaga's, Gonzaga's coming off of, you know, a, an off year this year, but – uh, it's still Gonzaga. It's still coached by Mark Few, one of the one of the greats at the moment. Uh, so I mean, that that's still a team to watch out for. They went and beat Kentucky at Rupp, which again isn't an easy thing to do, even though we've seen it happen a couple times this year. But you know, th- those teams like that that are just sneaking into the tournament itself uh, are ones to watch out for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Eight six five five four six eight two zero zero. Your number if you want to hop in. We're talking Vols bracketology here for the next few minutes. Uh, We've done this exercise a couple times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the path seems to have gotten tougher. Uh, maybe not each time we've done it, but it certainly gets tougher this time. Is this the toughest path we have seen yet for, for Tennessee in terms of bracketology? I think so. Just because of the one seeds on your side of the bracket are just two brutal pulls. You get one that's just good at everything in UConn. They've, I think they've been bar none the best team that we've seen overall this year. Now we've seen Purdue be at that one spot for forever. Uh, they're still good on the offensive end, but uh, of course, Zach Eady in, inside on the defense helps as well. But uh, it feels like they're just sort of a one-trick pony. Like they they get on their guy and they just ride him out with with some uh, collective pieces around him. Uh, but you know, UConn can spread it around really well uh, and get the job done from multiple facets of the game. Houston is just locked down defense. Uh, they've been known for that for the last several years. Uh, again, they're the number one AP team right now, uh, probably for a reason. Sometimes those AP voters know what they're talking about. Uh, I believe them in this one too. Uh, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, I would much rather see Arizona and Purdue on my side of the bracket than both UConn and Houston, probably my one-two teams in the, in the country right now. Uh, along to go to go on with, you know, seeing in the Sweet 16, like you've been hitting on Florida, Indiana State, Creighton more than likely. Uh, even in the second round, Wake Forest or Colorado State, two teams uh, that, that can get it done in March. We've seen Colorado State do it before. Wake Forest is sort of a sleeping giant. They've been done – they've done well – in tournaments before, it just feels like it's been forever for them to finally find their footing back, and uh, it kind of feels like they're on the cusp of doing so. And then on the other end, again, Houston is one that you're looking down the barrel on. Uh, it's just not very favorable. It, it may or it, I think it might have taken the lead for the most, uh, I guess, dangerous spot to be in right now for Tennessee. 
Yeah, last time we did this exercise, I remember <clears throat> one of the points that I made was that it was a pretty easy path to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. Yeah. And it, you know, your first two rounds <clears throat> were, were not exact. We're not exactly really tough games. Yeah. This time, I mean, you the start opposite. with Colorado State, Wake Forest, and it just never lets up. In fact, we were talking before we came in here, the only time it really lets up is if you make it to the national championship game. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, that seems like a reprieve coming off uh, matchups with Houston and UConn potentially. Um, so this time a lot tougher um, with teams that have played really good basketball um, late in the year, especially Colorado State and Wake Forest. Both have kind of hit their stride, Wake mm-hmm. especially. Um, it's just I don't want to mess with teams like that in the tournament. I don't no. want to be the, the unlucky team that gets to see them early in the tournament should they get past Colorado State because, I mean, they can score at will. Uh, score 91, <clears throat> 91 against Duke yeah. uh, on their home floor to upset them last week, um, or earlier this week, rather. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to see them. Um, going back to Houston, easier one seed than UConn, but what kind of consolation is that if you have yeah. to play UConn <laughs> basically a, you know, a few days later in the Final yeah. Four? Yeah, you, you um, take a trip down to – I don't even know where they're at in the Final Four Phoenix? this year. Phoenix? That sounds Phoenix. about right. So, I mean, you're going down to, what is it, like State Farm Field yeah, or State whatever? State Farm Stadium. State yeah. Farm Stadium and meeting the best team in the country after coming off of probably what's a low-scoring game against Houston. I mean, there's really no let-up right at that turn to get to a national title game. Well, it'd be the biggest defensive test of the year against Houston and then the biggest test of the year period against yeah. UConn in back-to-back like, games. You're just running into just <laughs> two teams that you really don't want to see. For a team see, in Tennessee that we've seen struggle this year against – That's been so inconsistent against oh, really good well, teams. Well, and struggle against bad defensive teams, too. Oh, yeah. A&M, 76th in the country in, in, in defensive efficiency. We go down to College Station and put, I believe, 65 points on the board, which mm. is not great. Um, so, you know, they've struggled against bad defensive teams. Uh, you go up against Houston and UConn in back-to-back, pretty much back-to-back days. I mean, probably yeah. two games in three days. Um, not not a great scenario. Kind of a nightmare yeah. uh, in terms nightmare. of that. Uh, it's extremely tough, but there's a lot left to change. Again, very hypothetical still at this point. Um, we got to hope some things change, I think, yeah. uh, for – for Tennessee, for Tennessee's sake, in the yes, next absolutely. couple weeks. Uh, anything to add? No, no. I, I think we hit it all there. I mean, it's just not a favorable look right now. Thankfully, we're still two weeks out from figuring this stuff out. But, man, if, if it was today, I, w- I would not be uh, too excited looking for the postseason stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's our talk on bracketology for today. We're going to hit a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk Vols baseball in the middle of a game against High Point and analyze uh, some of the storylines coming out of that game. Stay with us here on Overtime. Back here on overtime, come back to a little Dixieland delight. You got to have that every yeah. every now and then. Uh, Vol baseball in, in action today after a perfect five and zero week. Number seven slash eight, depending on where you look, we'll take number yep. seven. Tennessee continues its long homestand with four more games at Lindsey Nelson Stadium this week, starting with a midweek matchup going on now against High Point. It is three two Tennessee in the bottom of the fifth. Gavaris Tears, a homer in this game, a two-run single by Robin Villanueve, uh, and then a fielder's choice ground out for high point along with an RBI single in the top of the fourth uh, coming off of Austin Hunley. Uh, Matthew Dallas, two and two-thirds, no hits, no runs. Mm-hmm. That's a smashing success. Hunley yep. uh, a little bit roughed up today, um, but, again, nothing 
two major, gives up two runs on three hits, still mm-hmm. had the lead, was relieved by Benke, I believe, out of the bullpen. No, Stamos, excuse me, did an yeah, inning, and, one and hit, and no Stamos, runs. Stamos, I and, think I heard he had to get taken out after getting looked at by uh, the athletic trainer. So uh, that, that's why Benke came in really quick for uh, him. That's not great news. We'll have to wait and see what, what comes of that. But Benke comes in, does two-thirds, no hits, no runs, and that's where we stand. Uh, in the bottom of the fifth. So as the current game goes on, Cavaris tears homers again, Villanueva mm-hmm. on, on track again. Uh, what are you making of this early performance by the Vols? Uh, I mean, it, it's nothing that we haven't hit on before. I mean, tears coming into this year was somebody uh, that everybody was looking at. I mean, across all different media formats, especially here uh, on overtime, we were all like, this This is a guy that we really want to see take that next step. Uh, and it feels like he has taken that next step, uh, really solidifying himself in the outfield. Played a little bit of center field over the weekend uh, and, and looked pretty solid out there uh, being the captain of the outfield. So uh, that's a positive seeing some other guys get in action as well uh and you know Villeneuve has just been on fire uh, as of late gets another start today at, at, at DH today uh continues to roll had had a good first inning uh, RBI single I was able to watch that before uh heading over to the station but uh just just his pr- production so far has been really awesome uh even though again he's one for two today still still good uh from a line standpoint uh I guess current Batting average over the whole year, including these two at bats today, 571 right now. Uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. Uh, another guy that's been doing really well, Christian Moore. Uh, of of course, he's he's 0 for three today, but still sitting at a 419 average himself. So lots of production out of the guys that we expected from it. Uh, so it you know positive light coming out of that. Uh, just don't really want to be in this ball game still right now with High Point. That's the it's kind of worrying me because we're getting a little bit late here. It is a little bit worrying, but again, we've seen Wake Forest fall early in the year. We've seen right. LSU fall early in the year. Florida. Florida as well to, to teams that yeah you may look at it and say oh why is that team beating you know the number two three four team in the country uh, college baseball is like that right. uh, and Tennessee has experienced that before uh, ETSU Tennessee Tech you know they've had losses to teams like this so again not a huge deal again like you would probably like to see more than three runs on the board especially yeah. um, but the offense still working so far Kavaris tears we've talked about him extensively on mm-hmm. this show already great to see that, that he is just continuing to mash the baseball again it seems like every time we get on the field he hits a home run yeah. um, so another homer for him uh, Villanueva's a guy we'll talk about in a few minutes um, when we get to that part um mm-hmm. freshman matthew dallas got the nod today goes two and two thirds no hits no runs a great performance for him on the mound uh, i did not get his strikeout number but I'll he get had that real he quick. had three and then i think the reason he got taken out with two and two thirds five walks okay today. so the, the walk's certainly an issue but no hits no runs mm-hmm. so no batted balls there so that's good for him yeah. uh, as he gets another nod in a midweek and looks good again for the second week in a row um, so that leads us into the question should Matthew Dallas get a shot on a Sunday I, I think he should uh, you know it, like we said it's still very early this year you're still trying to figure out uh, I know coach Vitello said you're still trying to figure out who's going to be your Sunday guy I mean you, you've got plenty of guys uh, vying for it fighting for it at that uh, so it, it should be you know it's it's really time to start doing that if you're going to do it just be 
because, you know, I know next weekend Illinois is coming to town, a Power 5 school, and then after that you're rolling right into SEC play, hitting the road uh, and heading down to Tuscaloosa for your first uh, weekend series in SEC play. So uh, you really got to start uh, chipping away at all these question marks that you've got in this rotation. So, uh, you know, get as many guys in that role early uh, and so you can figure out who's comfortable out there, who do you th- who you think looks the best out there. Uh, that's that's when you're really going to start seeing this team so- sort of hit uh, a groove and a stride uh, going in an upward direction. Uh, you know, but right now, it, it I feel like. Of course, we've seen Xander start both Sunday games. He looked really good uh, this past Sunday, had had a really nice outing. Uh, But personally, once A.J. Russell gets back uh, to full health, I know he got shaken up a little bit on Friday. But I I think Causey and I think Snead are still your guys that you're going to have to beat out in order to take over that Sunday spot. I I think Seacrest would be a fun guy to see out of the bullpen just because of what he does bring to the table. Uh, but again, still early enough, I would like to see these freshmen come in because, I mean, we, we saw Drew Beam sit there and develop uh, as a freshman on that Sunday slot, and even whenever Chase Burns was in town, he was the Friday guy. He was your go-to man uh, every weekend, and he did really well in that role and thrived. So get these young guys' experience out there. Throw them to the wolves. They're going to have to learn sometime. Might as well make it now. Yeah, I said down the road it's possible was my answer. Again, you've probably got a few options in line before him. Seacrest looks better on Sunday than yeah. he did last weekend, um, gets kind of back to form a little bit and, and calms the doubts at least for now that that's his spot, at least for the time being. I think Snead is probably now second in line. Mm-hmm. Um, really the most impressive, I think, out of the bullpen um, so far. And the fact that he can do it now for three innings, that's about what you're going to get on a Sunday. Maybe a little bit more if he's really dealing. Mm-hmm. Um, you may get out of that. Um, but there's a line. I think Dallas is probably third in line um, at this rate. Uh, I don't know if they're going to move A.J. Causey. I think that Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson like where he is behind A.J. Russell. Yeah, that's fair. As I, a I, do one like two that. I do like that back-to-back on, little look. On Friday night, and it's worked so far, so why change it? Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So yeah. leave Causey where he's at, I think. Um, but Dallas is probably – third on the list and I wrote Drew Beam down as well again Mm. started as a freshman broke into the weekend rotation kind of in the same way that Dallas is trying to do uh, and never looked back and now you look up he's the number one guy in the rotation I mean he is your number one guy he's your ace Uh, he's your Saturday pitcher so uh, certainly could be some parallels there uh, for Matthew Dallas as he tries to break his way into the rotation Uh, I want to see him continue to grow a little bit over the next couple weeks maybe a little bit early still he is still a freshman um, has done well, but again, you got Illinois coming to town. What is it next weekend that they come to town? Yeah, so, I, I think at the start of our spring break, they're in town. Is yeah. he going to be ready for that spot? We'll have to wait and see mm. um, at this point, and then obviously conference play after that. Maybe he's ready down the line in conference play. Maybe one of your first home series mm. there. Maybe you give him the start in that. Uh, maybe Sneed goes Sunday against Illinois, yeah. or, or some combination of Sneed, Secrets. Um, maybe that's what um, we see uh, there. But I do think that eventually. Um, he should get a shot. Mm. Uh, the Vols have already posted a pair of shutouts this season on the pitching mound, both of which were one-hitters the second season under pitching coach Frank Anderson. They've thrown multiple one-hitters in the same season, the other season, 2022. Um, it's now the sixth one-hitter since Anderson arrived on campus in 2018. Um, so what is more impressive so far this year, the offense or the pitching performance? I would absolutely say the pitching performance, just because you know coming into this season, that was definitely my biggest question mark on this team because they were returning a lot of guys from uh, last year's squad that were a part of that potent offense that we saw uh, that had really high ceiling. Uh, you added guys like Peebles 
uh, Amick, Villeneuve that we saw come in. And you're getting guys off the bench like Tears and Dryling finally becoming mainstays on this team. So uh, that part I wasn't really too worried about. The one thing that I was worried about was the pitching. Uh, and it's really blown me away so far. These young guys uh, especially have looked really good. I, I think probably the most impressive in my eyes uh, has been Dylan Loy. I think he's looked really good on the left side of the mound, uh, especially coming off of uh, or coming behind Dallas in I know last week's game against ETSU, he looked really good. A uh, guy like Marcus Phillips can fill up the zone. He he throws really hard too, so that helps. Uh, and you know the the one guy that we knew for sure this year coming in was Drew Beam. We've seen him be consistent so far. He's looked pretty solid in his uh, two games so far. Uh, but beyond that, there was a lot of question marks. We didn't. We thought for forever that Drew Beam might have been just the Friday guy. Uh, but but putting him in that middle slot is a swing game for Tennessee because everybody knows what you're getting out of that guy, uh, and he's just going to be your rock right in the middle of the weekend. Uh, and A.J. Russell has been a nice little surprise, a uh, guy that looks like he's really developed over the offseason. Uh, and he looked really good in that opening start, too. Had, what, like 10 strikeouts to start off the yeah. year? So that's that's an electric way to get things going. Uh, as well as the guys coming in away, like, like we said, Sneed and Causey, two big-time guys coming out. Uh, and slinging the ball, uh, as as well as you know, finally getting a guy back like Kirby Cannell coming out of the bullpen, a guy that's going to give you, uh, you know, sometimes he'll go for one out, sometimes he'll go for a, an inning plus. And tonight, uh, as we hit the middle of the six right now, still three two, Kirby Cannell works out of a jam uh, to get those three outs in the inning. So uh, he's a guy that can come in and make things happen. Uh, from the left side of the mound, he's he's quirky. He he has different looks that he can give you, different different pitches. Uh, just the versatility that this pitching rotation does have uh, has really blown me away so far. So I would by far say that the pitching staff has impressed me more. I said pitching as well. We kind of knew coming into this year what we were going to get with yeah. the offense uh, in terms of who the lineup was going to be and, and what to expect out of those guys, whether that be this, their development program or, or for Billy Amick and Cannon Peebles, what they were bringing in, what they had already produced. The pitching was a lot more unproven. A lot of freshmen, a couple transfers coming to the, the big stage for the first time, um, and guys that were kind of elevating their status this year um, with a couple key pieces leaving in the last offseason. So um, for, for what you're getting, for, for the surprise factor of just how impressive they've been, I would say uh, that it's pitching as well in terms of the depth that we have, the the you know the level of talent that we have that that goes along with that depth. I mean, this this is multiple pitchers deep that we have that are talented enough to come in in these big series and these big moments and get out of jams or pitch very well, pitch the lights out and and lock down some of these bigger games. Um, we've had to try to fill the Sunday role. Um, with obviously, you know, Dolander leaves, Bean moves to Saturday, Burns leaves. You know, you leave a couple gaps open, so the Sunday role has to be filled. The Friday role had to be filled. We figured it might be Beam, and instead is A.J. Russell, and mm -hmm. what a surprise he has been so far on Fridays um, for this team to this point. And then from there, you know, you move Russell out of the bullpen. He goes to the starting lineup. You know, Sneed, maybe he moves to the starting lineup. But beyond them, we had to see what we had. You know, you had Sneed come in from Wichita State. You had Causey come in from Jacksonville State. A ton of talented freshmen, a ton yeah. of talented freshmen, along with guys that you know just hadn't you know really gotten a chance to prove it yet. Wyatt Evans comes yeah. to mind. Hunley comes to mind. Guys that have been on campus that haven't had a chance to prove it, um, and all of those guys have just been several pleasant surprises. And I wrote down yeah. a ton. This is just to name a few: AJ Russell, uh, Sneed, 
Causey, Dallas, Schaefer. I think Derek Schaefer Schaefer's needs a mention really as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin Hunley, and, and I also wrote down Dylan Loy. Uh, all as, and that's just, again, that's not even everybody uh, yeah. at this point. Ben Key came in again today. He's been excellent mm-hmm. as well. But you've got my point is you've got a ton of guys that have come in and made an impact uh, and, and made their presence felt and kind of calmed some doubts about, well, how good will this pitching be? Um, because I've talked about it before, I think the problem with last year's team, especially pitching-wise, is that you had your good starters and you had a good layer of relievers, mm-hmm. especially once Chase Burns made the move to the bullpen. Uh, but then beyond them, beyond Cannell, Burns, guys like that, that top level, you didn't really have much behind that. Yeah. Uh, this year I feel like you've got two, three, four layers deep where if you get to these longer weekend series, an SEC series or, or a tournament series uh, where you need to go back-to-back days, you have the depth for that now. And I think that's one of the things that the team was missing the last couple of years that they went to Omaha. So, um, for me, it's pitching uh, as well in a big way. Uh, seriously, yeah. uh, uh, has been the star of the show to this point and pitching another good effort uh, here today. Quebec native Robin Villanueva burst onto the scene with some impressive showings at the plate last week and has emerged as yet another weapon for Tennessee's loaded lineup. The junior slugger hit his first two homers at the D1 level last week after leading the junior college ranks with 28 home runs last season at Weatherford College in Texas. Illinois' tape measure blast, very impressive, by the way, in Saturday's victory over Albany, traveled an estimated 448 feet, according to Trackman, which is UT's longest home run this season. Entering this week, Villanueva leads the team with a 583 batting average, 1167 slug percentage, and a 737 on base percentage, recording five hits, driving in six, and scoring six runs last week. Did the Vols find a hidden gem in Robin Villanueva? Speaking of him being effective, uh, he just dropped in a uh, RBI double tonight great to, timing to, to just incredible time tears led off the, the bottom of the six with a with a double <laughs> you could follows him right that up one better absolutely could not <laughs> i mean it literally just updated here on the on the stat broadcast so uh but yes this is a guy that you know looking at his stats i mean i don't even think i saw a picture of the guy uh until i saw him on the field uh seeing seeing him or just seeing the stats coming out of uh, his his JUCO time down at Weatherford, uh, just a little bit mind blowing. You don't really see guys hit nearly thirty home runs and knock in over a hundred RBIs. It's it's absolutely crazy to see uh, that at that level, and for it to roll over already and him be an instant impact for this offense is humongous. Uh, because I mean, this is a guy that. Coach Vitello has really raved on about his work ethic, just about what he, how he carries himself. I mean, th- this is a guy that on on Saturday after he hit that big home run you were talking about, he goes and talks to the press right after uh, with English as a second language, and he does perfectly. I, I don't think like you could really tell. So I mean, I mean, him being mature uh, in just about all aspects of it, he carries himself in a really positive manner. Uh, and Coach Vitello again raving on the work ethic alone. This is a guy that you know, hadn't played outfield since high school and in practice and like shagging balls, he's running around the outfield and coach Vitello gives him a shot in the outfield because he looks so good doing it. So I, I think that's one thing that's really nice to see uh, that he brings to the table. He's very versatile on the defensive end uh, and you know exactly what you're getting on the offensive end. I mean, the guy's hitting, hitting right about 600 right now. Uh, and another update, Cannon Peebles just knocked a single in, an RBI single, so Villanueva scores. It's 5-2 now, Tennessee, bottom of the six. So, uh, you know, but Villanueva, once again, uh, just a guy that 
you know, coming in, I sort of had some eyes on him anyways, just from the numbers-wise, but seeing him more, seeing him in person, put it together, really, really impressive stuff. Yeah, they did find a hidden gem. I don't think that Villanueva was, was you know, the number one acquisition out of the portal that everybody was looking at. Because no. you get Amick, you get Peebles, you get these shiny new pieces coming on campus, and Villanueva's kind of no straight to him on the back burner a little yeah. bit. As a guy that you brought in that you knew he had production, but you know those other two guys, well, those are the bells and whistles pieces of the class where you're not looking at him as much. And Villanueva has done just as much as the other two have so far. Yeah. Um, he's burst on the scene. He's a massive uh, spot in the lineup now. Uh, pretty much be, made himself a daily starter, I think, at this point. I, I, in the I first think he should be. We can have, I think he should be as well. Um, and now today, adding on, you know, a couple more hits, um, knocks in an RBI single Three earlier. RBIs. Now knocks in another RBI here in the in the sixth. Um, so he's having a great day, right as we're talking about him at, at the perfect time. Yeah. Um, and he's not a boomer bust guy either. And, and you know, well, a guy when a guy hits 28 homers in, in junior college, you think, oh, okay, he probably hit you know 300, 250, and, and just hit 28 home runs. He's not. I mean, he's hitting 583. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's getting on base almost. Three out of four times yeah. at this point it's that ridiculous. he comes up in the uh, to he, the plate. He's sitting at an even six hundred right now. As there you of, go. As so so today moment. bumps that average even closer yeah. to the six hundred mark, which is an absurd number to start the year. Uh, he had five hits last week. Only two of them were homers. So he can spread it out. He can do it for contact as well as power. That eleven sixty seven slug percentage is going to stand out to a lot of us, but it's not. I don't think it's the key stat. I think it's just that he can hit and hit often. Yeah. Um, and that's what he has done. I, I think uh, we wondered early in the year who would take the DH spot. Um, you know that that last spot in the lineup, that DH platoon outfield spot. You know the guy that can do anything. Yeah. Um, and I think he has filled that already. I think that was the last spot in your lineup that you were basically you know kind of worried about who was going to fill that spot um, because you know other than shortstop, but you know shortstop is hindered by an injury. Yeah, and, um, and Ariel you've Antigua. got like four guys. And deep now at you've got now. you know you, now you've seen Dean Curley come to life at shortstop. You've seen a couple other guys that could play that position. So you've solved that. You had to solve DH, and I think you've done it um, with with Villanueva uh, as well. He fills the last gap mm-hmm. that they had. Um, going into going into this season, uh, it is five two five two balls in the sixth. Yep, and we'll five, keep two still sitting. There. We'll keep up with that one. Anything to to add on the baseballs as as they're in action against High Point? Uh, just just ended the sixth now, so it's it's still again five two Tennessee uh, heading towards the top of the seventh here. All right, well. We'll keep talking about them, keep updating you on the score there at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. We're getting another break. Lines are still open. We're, we're trying to get to your calls today, pulling some <laughs> double duty, um, but we're trying to get to them, 865-546-8200. When we come back, we'll give you our best bets of the night here on Overtime. Stay with us. Here on Overtime, wrapping up hour number one with our best bets of the night, 865-546-8200. If you want to hop in and join us here as we get ready to go over to hour number two. But first, we're going to give you our best bets of the night. I did I did pretty well last night. I think I went either two. I think I went 2-0 and oh last night. Uh, hmm. No, I did not. I went 1-1. One and one. The Raptors beat uh, the Pacers on the road last night. So uh, Yeah, I, not, I had that one too. Not a great break there. I don't even know. I didn't even watch it. But no. what, what ended up being the Baylor? Uh, Baylor won that game by eight. Oh, so for two. 
had that one uh, <laughs> go for me last night. Uh, I'll start with my first one. Texas Tech minus three and a half tonight at home against Texas. A bounce back spot for the Red Raiders. They lose on the road to UCF in conference play. The Big 12 is weird. They all like to yep. beat each other any given night. So uh, tonight, Texas Tech being at home, it's hard to win on the road, especially in a rivalry like this, an in-state rivalry tonight, Red Raiders and Longhorns. Uh, Texas, too streaky for me. Last time out got handled by Kansas. Um, so I like Texas Tech here in the home spot with only a three-and-a-half-point line. Give me the Red Raiders. I have got – I know we were talking about this earlier. A little bit of a sketchy pick here. I'm taking Kentucky Moneyline mm. coming off a big one. I found it at plus 158. So, I mean, get a little bit of bang for your buck if you want to there. On the road at Mississippi State. Um, you know, this this Mississippi State team has been on a little bit of a roll here as of recent. I think they've won their last five, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, last loss came at Alabama by like 30-plus. Uh, so, uh, but Kentucky coming off of probably their best performance of the year against Alabama at home. Uh, I think they're going to try and ride the hot the hot wave here, uh, you know, but they're going to be coming up against uh, guys in Josh Hubbard, Tolu Smith off that uh, Bulldogs team that's really looking to cement themselves as a tournament team uh, before we get uh, to Selection Sunday. So that that's going to be an interesting one, and ESPN has – uh, according to like the BPI, Mississippi State a 59% chance to win that one. Uh, but I'm going to go against the metrics here. I've got Kentucky money line. <sighs> Not touching that game with a 10-foot yep. pole tonight. <laughs> Kentucky off their biggest win of the year in a letdown spot. Mississippi State, as we're going to talk about in hour number two, probably has to win out to make the tournament or, or at least hold their own to make the tournament. I don't want any part of it. Hey, Props to you for, hey, for taking it. <laughs> winners never quit. Quitters never win. Props Props go. to you for taking that one. I'm not <laughs> touching that game with a 10-foot pole tonight. My second one uh, is Pittsburgh. No mm. William in the studio. We're, we're going to keep him here in spirit. He's very high on Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I'm very high on Pittsburgh. I think they're the second hottest team in the ACC. Plus 7.5 tonight against Clemson on the road. Uh, two very scrappy, good ACC teams. Mm -hmm. uh, but Pittsburgh, again, second hottest team in the ACC, I think only to Wake Forest at this point, headed for the tournament. Uh, a couple of big wins over the last few weeks for them. Um, they're in very good form coming into this one. Uh, they, this is a really big line for me for one of these weird unranked conference games mm -hmm. uh, on a Tuesday night at 7.5. I thought it was a little bit big for how Pittsburgh has been playing um, so far. Hyron and company come into this one. Again, Hyron coming off 23 points in their last outing. I expect him to lead the Panthers tonight mm -hmm. uh, into Clemson, a Clemson team that's good, but again, you know some of these, some of these, uh, some of these in-conference matchups, especially as we get closer to tournament time. Pittsburgh, a team trying to work their way into that tournament picture. Yep. Clemson trying to work out with their spot in the tournament picture. Uh, these games are going to be very scrappy. So I think Pittsburgh heads in the right direction tonight. Gets another big one mm -hmm. uh, and goes into Clemson and either wins or at least makes it scrappy. This line grew a little bit since I last checked on it, but I'm taking uh, what I found earlier. I found Kansas at minus 7.5 at home against BYU. Well. Uh, that one was kind of itching everything that I needed uh, just because, again, Big 12 is so weird. Uh, Kansas had that meltdown against Texas Tech without Kevin McCuller. Uh, I think they're still without him. I'm not sure what his status is for tonight. Uh, but Kansas being at home, coming off of a big win against Texas, uh, another streaky team, like you said, uh, and a top 25 road win against Oklahoma uh, last – or I guess two Saturdays ago they had the midweek off this last week. Uh, but, you know, BYU has been sort of up and down. We've seen them ranked pretty high, uh, but they're coming off of – uh, a road loss once again to Kansas State, so uh, not not really a team that's been playing great on the road. They lost one against Oklahoma State as well, 
uh, a couple weeks back. So I'm going to take the Jayhawks here covering a, a spread that uh, I think is very doable for them. I, th- I think they can win by eight-plus at home. Uh, they've played well at home uh, as well this year. So I've, I've got uh, – even though it, it, it is sort of like that Big 12 just kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to even bet on Big 12 tonight – I'm going to take the Jayhawks minus seven and a half. Yeah, at home at Allen Fieldhouse should be very doable. They had some very convincing wins at home at very Allen Fieldhouse convincing, this year. Yes. So I like that one as well. Final one for me tonight, going to the NBA, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers minus uh-huh. four and a half tonight against the Dallas Mavericks. Um, a, a Dallas team that has improved a lot uh, at the trade deadline and has gotten better, um, but a, a Cavs team that has just hit their stride over the past few weeks. Uh, they've become an Eastern Conference contender. We've talked about them a lot on this show. Um, and a team that I just think, especially at home, uh, is in a really great spot tonight to get another big win, mm-hmm. continue their climb up the East, continue to challenge those top three teams um, and put their name in the hat as a potential team that could come out of the Eastern Conference uh, as the winner of that conference. Uh, the Mavs coming off a rough loss to the Pacers last time out. Tough one for them. Um, so p- a potential bounce back spot. But, again, I think the Cavs just playing too well right now mm-hmm. uh, and, and back at full strength, as we've talked about here before. They didn't lose a step um, and have just been really playing some great basketball and coming off a win as well in their last one out. Dallas is 15-11, and 11 excuse me, on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cavs are 19-10 and 10 at home. In the Quicken. Is it still the Quicken Loans Arena? I think so. That sounds about right. Well, they're 19-10 they and 10 there. No matter what the arena is named, <laughs> they're 19-10 and 10 at home. Um, and at minus four and a half, I like them to win and cover. I have got for my last one tonight, I've got the Knicks at home plus six and a half against New Orleans. I, I know the Knicks are still a little banged up, still without Jalen Brunson and a couple guys. But, uh, you know, I, I had a pick last week coming out of uh, the All-Star break where I think I had them taking uh, taking it against uh, the 76ers and at, at like plus five or something like that. And out, wound up uh, beating Philly on the road by 14. Uh, so so that held up for me. They they took one, took a loss against the Celtics and won a really close one, uh, a little bit of a controversial one. Uh, let me see when that was. That was last night against the Pistons, one where there was some uh, some penalties that were not called. I guess you would I guess you would say, but uh, the Knicks, uh, they're I still think they're one of the top tier teams in the East. They they've proven that so much already. They did a lot of work at the trade deadline to beef up their roster uh, and get ready for a little postseason push. The Pelicans on a little bit of a slip. I think they've lost two in a row. Uh, so I, I think them being on the road and favored by that much, maybe Las Vegas knows something, but. I'm not buying it. I've got the Knicks at home plus six and a half. All right. So we'll recap those really quickly for you as we come to the end of hour number one. I've got Texas Tech minus three and a half. I've got Pittsburgh plus seven and a half. And I've got the Cavs at minus four and a half. I've got the Knicks plus six and a half. Kentucky money line on the road in Kansas minus seven and a half. All right. Those are our best bets of the night. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up here in just a moment. Stay with us here on Overtime. 